This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Victoria Hannon, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Now, Victoria is a Melbourne-based writer and photographer. Her debut novel, Kokomo, won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for an unpublished manuscript in 2019. Her second novel, Marshmallow, explores the relationship between five friends and the ripple effects of grief. So for those, our regular listeners, they will know that I'm in that space at this very moment. My mum died recently. And what I have realised on top of the sadness and the overwhelming sadness, there is an element to grief that's often not discussed and that's how it is so um, it changes the way you live your life. It changes your relationships. It. I'm just trying to articulate it. It's really, for me, it's like somebody's pulled a rug from under me. I feel like it sort of even changed the shape of my body or how I move in the world. I feel like I kind of absorbed a lot of sadness and that's just changed the way I even feel in my own skin. I think also people don't talk about how grief can be embarrassing sometimes and it can be funny and it can be um, even boring. Like I don't, you're probably not at this point yet, but you might wake up at some point soon and feel okay. And then feel sad again and be like, Oh, not this again still. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I just feel like people are so frightened of grief and frightened of the things that cause us to grieve that we just don't talk about it enough. And do you know what else? And I have talked about this because I interviewed um, Indira Naidu and, you know, she had a terrible experience with death recently. It's so personal. It's you in you and only you. And you can only, you can hear and feel and listen to what others have to say, but it's really up to you. Yeah. And all those platitudes I find it's just like, oh, you know, well, she's in a better place. She's not suffering anymore. This is kind of the stuff I heard after my mom passed away. I was like, well, yeah, but you weren't there. So (laughs) you don't know how I'm feeling. And none of that is. And it's just people trying to reach out and people trying to show up for you. But, um, Mm. Yeah, I find that because we don't talk about grief enough, it can often be hard for people to know the right things to say. And often there are no right things to say. I think that's Mm. the other thing too. And I found um, after my mum died for a good two months, all I wanted to do was watch action films. Mm. Like my days, I wasn't really working at the time. I was just hanging out in Adelaide with my dad. And just for hours a day, I would just lie in bed and just watch the kind of, I don't know, the biggest explosions and the silliest car chases I could find. And for some reason that was what made me feel better. And I just tried not to question it. I just went with it. Do you want to talk about how your mum died? So she had cancer. It was, she so diagnosed in 2018, I think, and then just had so many 
struggles with chemo and surgery and then it went away um, and then came back with a vengeance. And so we found out in July 2020 that it was back and it was an inoperable. Um, and I was in Melbourne at the time in deep lockdown and my book, had, my first book had just come out and mum was in Adelaide. And so I had a lot of kind of bureaucratic issues trying to get there. Spent a couple of weeks in hotel quarantine while she was in and out of the ICU. Um, and then finally got to spend some time with her. Uh, and then she died in November. So it was sort of three months all in all. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was just, I think the added things of just having lockdown and struggling to get there and the whole lot was hard, was really hard. It's changed, definitely changed the way I feel about life and death and age and health and yeah, everything in between. I think mothers dying particularly is so formative. It changes the way you are. My mother died during COVID as well. It was in April of this year. And this would have been a different experience to you. You know, my mother was old. She was 83. It was the natural order. It wasn't premature in a way, if you, if you like. And all those things were always in my head leading up to the time. I'm like, okay, this is terrible. And, you know, just, you know, driving to the nursing home. Yeah, no, this is, this is normal. This is how life is. Just always yep. talking my way through the fact that, you know, she hasn't died in a car accident. She's not 35 years old. And then when she did die, none of that reasoning worked for me anymore. None of it. No. No. And I think you can do so much work like pre-grieving or work to prepare yourself for the death, but you're never going to know how you're going to react when it actually happens. Um, And I feel like I had done a lot of that work leading up to it, but then I didn't anticipate that I was just going to need to lie down for two months and watch things blowing up and people getting shot. Mm. Um, Yeah. It's just, I think also one of the things that people don't talk about is how your relationship with that person is going to affect the way you grieve for them, like all the complexities of a, of a lifelong relationship. It's never, unless it's just like a very sort of elderly grandparent or something like that, it's never a case of just like, oh, that person has died, I'm sad. You have mm. all of your previous traumas, all of your previous grief, the situation in which they died, your relationship with that person, any mental ill health experience of mental ill health that you have in your life, all of that can just pile on and pile on to make the the situation even more complex and difficult. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how big your family is, but I'm one of six. So imagine that that has been a complexity on its own. You know, you've got six people grieving quite differently. Um, yeah. And some of those people have an opinion about how other people grieve. People yeah. love to make you feel like you're doing it wrong. Mm, I don't mm. I don't I think it's maybe because they are scared that they might react in a similar way to you. I've been thinking about this a lot trying to understand and unpack why that is and why people have opinions about it and I think it's just mostly fear. So much of the way people react to grief is around fear. Yeah. I had so let's talk about some positives around grief. Yeah. Um I have a, a beautiful friend who lives in San Francisco, an Australian guy, and his mum died recently as well, about a year before mine. Actually, during COVID, seven of my friends lost their mothers. I mean, wow. we're kind of at that age group, but it all happened in that time. And his was the first, I think, in that period. But this was just a couple of months before she died and I was in San Francisco and we were having dinner with another friend and he started to tell stories about my mother, beautiful stories. 
because mm. he knew I was having a particularly hard day and I was packing up to come home and he probably he could forecast I guess because he'd been through it he knew what I was in for and he started telling stories of his experiences with her what kind of person she was and what she meant to them. and do you know that will never leave me that was the most beautiful thing somebody could do for you that's really incredible and I think a lot of people, when when they've been through it themselves, that's how mm. they learn to deal with grief. And that actually was really incredible, the amount of people who reached out to me after mum died, people that I'd never even met, just people reaching out on social media to say, I know we don't know each other, but I've been through what you're going through and it's a special club that none of us want to be a member of, but we're all here. So if you need anything, you want to talk, you want to vent, I'm here. Mm. And I just couldn't believe that kindness. Mm. It's beautiful, isn't it? So there was certainly a lot of good things around it as well. I want to talk about like you kind of uh, watch TV for two months, but you did then start writing a book, didn't you? Yes. So I actually already had a draft of Marshmallow in 2019, which I had sort of written before the world ended, Mm. Um, but it was a very different book. And so kind of in the two months after mum died, I lay down, watched TV, and then I sort of came back to Melbourne in the first week of January, just picked myself up and was like, okay, well, I'm contracted to finish this book, so I guess I better get to work. I have a deadline. Yeah. So I just was like, okay, well, I, I could either lie here and watch all of the Fast and Furious movies again, or I can write this book. And I feel like what happened over the next year, I barely remember writing this book. I know there were sort of milestones, which I have a vague recollection of, but a lot of it was just an outpouring of my grief and kind of written in this sort of grief fueled fugue state. And I really don't remember a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So talk to me how a book can kind of start and then be something completely different. As a non-writer, I can't imagine how you go back So you have an idea, you have the essence of the story, and then when you say it's a completely different book, what changes? So the bare bones of the idea are there and the characters are all the same, so it was these same five friends, but the things that happened to them over the course of the story that I chose to tell has changed quite significantly. In the first draft, one of them was went to Egypt (laughs) for some reason, I just, I think I made the book just smaller and smaller as I went through the drafting process. And it just ended up being the story of kind of almost a day and a half in the lives of these people. Um, Because we meet them a year after they've all witnessed a tragic accident and just look at sort of how that accident has affected them and reshaped their lives. And yeah, so I think just their day-to-day experiences just got smaller and smaller so that I could really distill a lot of the feelings that they were feeling and they weren't off having big adventures all around the world. And do you think that that was healing for you to write? I think it was healing for me to write. I'm yet to work out if it's healing for me to publish um, because I feel like they're quite different things. So I feel like I was kind of trying to outrun my grief a little bit while I was writing this book and it's been almost two years now since mum died and so I'm kind of getting to a place where I feel pretty good and now I'm sort of plunging myself back into the world of talking about this book all the time and it's sort of plunging me back into I guess some of the feelings that I was having but I think the beauty of that also is that maybe this book and me talking about grief in this book might help somebody going through something similar just feel slightly less alone. 
Yeah. Do you know, I mean, that is so true. I'm so drawn to anything about grief at the moment. I want to read. I want to learn. I hear tips. I hear people say something that resonates. I'm going to do that tomorrow. You know, like I'm reaching out for it. Were you the same? Um, I think I I kind of avoided anything sad, to be honest. I would talk yeah. to people who had been through similar things, but I just wanted to feel a bit numb, I think, and to have what I was reading and what I was watching be separate, be like a different world from the sadness that I was living in, mm. um, which I think is why I was drawn to watching so mm. many action films and I watched a lot of rom-coms. I just watched anything and I would kind of check um, the internet beforehand to make sure there were sort of no sick parents and just check for trigger warnings in there because I just couldn't couldn't handle it at the time. Mm. Um, but another thing I did watch, and I always find this really confusing, was a lot of Law & Order SVU. <sighs> and all of that show is grief and trauma and violence. And I don't, yeah, I don't really understand why I But it's that, a formula, but... I think. I think you just follow yes. the formula. You don't have to think so hard. I think that that's why that's they're so true. addictive. Yeah. Yeah, pure entertainment. Do you know, um, I, I think I told you um, just before we hit record that I'm in the south of France at the moment. And that's part of my grief journey, I think, is to, was to leave home and see if I can stand up on my two feet elsewhere. But it was really interesting because that first leg of flying um, usually is a nightmare for me. I don't like flying. I mean, it's not that I'm scared or anything. I just hate the time. But do you know, it just went so quickly because I think I wasn't watching action films, but I think I was in a trance. By the time I got on that flight, I think I just sat there for seven, 17 hours and thought about nothing. I guess maybe it's nice not to have any outside stimulation. Yeah. Like you were just yeah. able to dis completely. I love that on planes. You have to disconnect. Like completely. I, whenever I'm on a plane, I never turn the internet on oh, because like that's ever. the only time in my life when I can't check my emails and I can't look at social mm. media. Mm. So I'm just forced into this short hibernation or 17 yeah. hour hibernation. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's just what you needed to just be alone. Mm. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, I want to talk about your life as a photographer as well mm -hmm. because I am a particular fan. I, I, I appreciate the art so much um, and I dabble a tiny little bit on my Instagram, but I, I just I understand it because I think it's storytelling. I think they're short stories. They're like Carver stories. And I feel like what I like so much about photography is you just have, because I sort of really just practice vernacular photography, which is just capturing a moment on the street. I don't do studio photography where I set up lights. No. It's all kind of natural light. And I only shoot on film as well. 
So I very much have that one second, that split second to get the picture exactly right. And I can't even, because I'm shooting on film, I can't check. So I was like, you have that one second. And if you got it, you got it. You can't go back and change it. So it's like the opposite of writing in a way. So it's storytelling, but you just have one second to get it. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to it because writing, you can rewrite the same sentence for your whole life and never feel like it's right. But photography, it's like you have a second and then you're done. Yeah. Tell me your career trajectory. So, you know, did you, where did you grow up? Were you a big reader? How did you come to writing? How did you come to making photographs? I grew up in the Adelaide Hills and lived there until in Adelaide until I was about 20. I studied, um, I just, my mum claimed that she always knew I was going to be a writer, but it took me a lot longer to work it out. I wasn't always a big reader and this will be true to form when I say I just love watching TV um, when I was younger, but my mum and my sister were just voracious readers. And so I was always dragged to the local bookshop and dragged to the library and would just kind of sit there being bored. But obviously it just got into my veins somehow. <laughs> it's in your DNA. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I come from my whole, my dad's whole side of the family work in either publishing or libraries. Oh, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I sort of, I feel like it's in, it's in my blood. Um, and I think from a young age, writing was just something that I was always able to do. And it took me a long time to realize that I was good at it and that I enjoyed it. But I ended up studying a, I have a bachelor of arts with a major in professional writing communication. And I always loved the creating creative side of things, but also kind of knew that if I was going to do a job in writing, it would probably have to be something else because as we always get told, writers in Australia earn about $8,000 a year. Yeah. Um, and so oh, I thought up, it was 12000 Oh, I think it's maybe it's gone down to eight. Um, it's not, either way, it's not good. Oh, exactly. Not That's what I mean. 12000 is appalling yeah. enough. Down yes. to eight. Down to eight. And then, yeah, I ended up working in advertising for a really long time. So I became a copywriter. Um, I moved to the UK and worked in different agencies over there. I think copywriting let's just stop there for a minute because in a way I mean I know that it's not valued as as writing but I do think there is such a talent around getting a message across in a couple of sentences or one sentence or a word I mean that's that's a huge talent isn't it I definitely think that working for 20 years or however long it's been in as a copywriter has helped me hone my craft. Like I don't think I would be as good a writer as I am if I hadn't been sitting there every day trying to sell people sneakers and Mm. all sorts of things that have been goggles, swimming goggles, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it like just being able to write to a brief, stick to a voice, churn out a certain amount of words every day because you have a deadline, all of that helps. I think yeah. it has helped me become a better writer. But it's it's kind of like practice, isn't it? Oh, Because you're doing it over, over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. and practice that thankfully you get paid for. Yeah. So, yeah, all of my work. you get more than, than $8,000 a year. Thankfully, yeah. It's yeah. probably one of the best paid writing jobs there is being a copywriter, but it's and it's absolutely not art and it shouldn't be considered art, but I think there is an art to it. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. Okay, so then you, how long have you been taking photos or making photos? Yeah, the photography thing. So my mum was a photographer. Um, she was an, a beautiful artist. She could paint and draw and she took incredible photos. My dad too, actually. And so I just had cameras in my life for a long time. And I think uh, for a few years I had friends who were really into photography and I just started 
kind of picking them up. But it wasn't until I moved to London where I started taking it a bit more seriously. And back in the day when people had blogs, I had a, a kind of photography and writing blog that was quite successful. By successful, I mean like people would visit it and leave comments. And I think it really stemmed from there. And I started being able to do the odd photography job at work for clients. And then I did some street style for Glamour magazine. And it just, yeah, I was just kind of getting the odd job here and there and have done a few things for magazines. But now it's kind of a bit more for, for pleasure than it is for money. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I take the odd portrait here and there, but mostly it's when I can, when I can travel, it's travel photography. Because I think it might even pay less than being a writer. <laughs> Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> okay, so then you write your first story and it wins the Victorian Premier's Literary Award. I mean, now that's an achievement, was, right? That was my actually my third novel that I had okay. written. But the first two were so bad that maybe, <laughs> no, wait, maybe it was my fourth. Anyway, they were not good and some of them went in the bin and others are... We call those know, practice. We call them practice, yes. Victoria. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and I'm glad no one will ever see them because I would be humiliated. But there, yeah, I got the idea for Kokomo when I was working at a job that I just hated so much and I just decided I was going to quit my job and go overseas and write the first draft of that novel. And then I wrote the first draft and I was like, oh, I don't hate this. Yeah. And so I wrote a second draft and then I wrote a third draft and then I entered it into the VPLAs just not imagining in a million years that they would even spend longer than five minutes reading it. Hang on. I just want to ask you why this one felt more right than the previous ones, why you thought it was good enough. Had you get sent it out to friends or was it just a feeling? Um, Nobody that- read it until after the third draft, so I had sort of six trusted friends who read it then. I don't know. It just felt like a real thing. Mm. I kind of wrote the last word and I was like, okay, this, I feel like I want to, I'm not sick of this yet. I want to keep exploring this world and these characters. Mm. So how did you feel when you got the phone call or the email? Uh, it was a phone call. I was at work <laughs> at another job that I had taken and that I hated. Um, I hope they didn't listen to this. Um, they won't. And I sat in a meeting room and cried and then went and had a drink and ate some spaghetti carbonara with one of my best friends and cried some more. Um, that was a good food choice. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I thought so. So it's a celebration meal for me. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I'd never won anything before in my life. Like I just, it felt incredibly gratifying because I'd spent so much time working on this novel and that winning that award changed my life. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to say. And so it changed your life. And so what do you call yourself now? Uh, I, <laughs> I'm a writer. <laughs> Yeah, I am. I, yes, I, I, yeah. Um, I've often had had a joke with Trent Dalton um, because he reckons it took him a long time to call himself that, even though he'd sold you know a squillion copies of the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unsure. I go. I'll say something like, "Oh yeah, I'm a writer, yeah. but I've only written like one or two. Yeah, so no but I also do all this other stuff because writing doesn't pay, and I have these other jobs. And everyone's like, that's cool that you wrote two books. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, but I also, yeah. so yeah. I'm still not quite at that Trent's level yet. Yeah. But I mean, everybody has it. Everyone seems to have it. I don't think even you know authors five books down or ten books down have the confidence to say that. I love asking authors that question because they're just I feel always like self-deprecating. Well, there are also very few 
writers in this country who are only writing. Like we're all doing four or five other things to Mm. be able to pay our rent or our mortgage. And so Mm. you can say, yeah, I'm a writer, but I'm also this and this and this. Mm. I've got to say, I mean, I agree with you totally. However, I mean, I've been in the industry a very long time. I'm very old. I've been doing it. I think I've been doing this for nearly 40 years. But anyway, don't tell anyone. You can edit that bit out. Yeah, I can edit that bit out. What I think is... um, interesting and I have really seen a shift is that there is room now for young people writing and debut fiction and people are better at reading and exposing themselves to new reading. Readers don't shy away from reading a book by an unknown author and I love that. Do you think that's a Sally Rooney effect or do you think it's been going on longer than that? No, I think it's a Jane Harper effect. Mm, I think Sally was there. I think it's Jane. No, this is what I think, and I have no data or science behind this, so just know that. My favourite type of fact. (laughs) Okay, that's exactly what it is. I think for a long time book reviewers were the gatekeepers, print book reviewers, so for the big papers, you know, for the Fairfaxes and and they were the gatekeepers in terms of what we read. And it was largely male for a very long time. And then social media came and all of a sudden that landscape changed and people were getting their recommendations from lots of other people. And I think better reading is one of those, you know, but we're one of many. Goodreads is another. And so that connection between author and reader changed completely because we lost the middleman. And now I think it's the readers who are telling us what they're like. They're actually, their voice is a lot louder than it's ever been. And I love that. Yeah. I think Bookstagram has become an incredibly powerful tool. That's another tool. tool. Yeah. 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 And BookTok, which I'm too old to investigate because it it terrifies me, but I know that bookstores now will have a a shelf in their bookstore, which is Mm -hmm. books recommended by BookTok. It's incredible Mm -hmm. how quickly things can shift and where the power can move Mm. to. Mm. And so I think that it's been a really good time for debut fiction. It's been a really good time. There is so much debut fiction like Jane Harper, like Trent Dalton, like Hannah Kent, like there's so many. I mean, you know, just trying to play that their first book has just gone out there and the world has embraced it. Readers have embraced it. And I think it's because of the directness of the relationship. Mm, yeah, I feel like also maybe, yeah, having the technology to be able to sort of beam into people's homes mm. with podcasts and with things like Zoom, it mm. does make the writer seem, um, mm. I don't know, cl- closer and more accessible. Mm. Even a comment sometimes, you know, like we'll talk about a book and then the writer will jump on and make a comment and then readers will jump. And that little interaction with the writer I think sells so many books because they have such a good feeling about that experience, you know, and I've really enjoyed that. We've got lots of live segments too that readers love and that's it's just been such a positive change, I think, particularly in this country, in Australia, for, for debut fiction. So you're in a really good space. You're in a really good time and uh, the book is called Marshmallow. What can I say, Victoria? Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. 
This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.